difficile. Uh, something uh, usually uh, fun happened, and you got out of class for a while, so it seemed like a win-win situation to me. Uh, for our homecoming uh, week pep rally, it normally involved uh, some type of big competition uh, between the classes. And my sophomore year, as I entered the, the gymnasium, I saw this huge obstacle course that was set up that uh, it, it looked pretty cool. And, and uh, when it came time for the competition, they were calling out just one student from each of the grade levels to compete through this obstacle course for class supremacy. And wouldn't you know it, out of 400 kids in my grade level, my name got called out. And I was kind of pumped up about that because, you know, back then I was a pretty good athlete and I was especially good at obstacle courses. So I was excited about that. And this one contained several uh, elements from gymnastics. Uh, you had to, to, uh, to be able to clear the horse and then you had to go up and over the uneven bars and, and then walk the balance beam with a turn without falling off and, and then multiple other obstacles in between those events. And, and then once you got to the finish line, you had to run to the gym, uh, the place in the gym because you were divided up by grades. You had to run to the place in the gym where your grade was sitting and then get a kiss from the cheerleader of your choice. Um, and I was thinking this was a pretty good deal because being an unpopular kid in high school, I didn't get anywhere near the cheerleaders, let alone get a kiss from one of them. So uh, I was pretty excited about that. Uh, but then they said for the, the final element of the competition would be a surprise once we got to the finish line. So uh, I, I, did, I did great going through the obstacle course. Uh, I ran and got my kiss, which ended up being a kiss on the cheek, and, 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 then, and then headed to the finish line way, way out in front of anybody else, any of the other classes. And when I got to the finish line and they told me the final elements that you had to do, they handed me a kazoo and said you had to play the school song. <laughs> and my heart sank because I didn't have a clue what our school song was. <laughs> I didn't go to the football games. I never paid attention at any of the other pep rallies. I didn't have any idea what to do. So basically, I just stood there looking stupid and feeling embarrassed because I had no idea where to go. And as I you know, stood there doing nothing, uh, other than looking dumb, the other contestants finally caught up and got there, and of course they knew the school song, and they won the competition. You know, it's, uh, it's awful being put in a position where you're told to do something, but you don't have any idea what it is you're supposed to do. Fortunately, God doesn't do that with us. He gave us a mission, and he explained exactly what that means. And that's what we've been focusing on the last uh, few weeks. Uh, we're going to use the same verses as we continue our study on being on mission that we used last Sunday, Matthew 28, 18 uh, through 20, and then Acts 1, 8. We'll start in Matthew 28, reading those, and, um, and then end in Acts. And it says this, 
And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then in Acts 1.8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Father God, we thank you that your scripture is clear to us. We thank you that you have uh, explained exactly what your desire and intention is for us and that you have empowered us to do those things. So God, we just pray that you would help us this morning to gain understanding, to gain courage, to be encouraged. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so last Sunday we started looking at what I believe most people would say are the quintessential verses on being on mission uh, within the church. And, and just two quick reminders so that we're all on the same page. When I say in the church, I am not talking about a building, right, or even an organization. The church is the people. The universal church is made up of all true believers all over the world. So everything I would say about mission here uh, is going to be true for them or you, no matter where you might live in the world. But then we want to narrow the focus down to what the Bible calls the local church. That's made up of believers in one location that meet together for worship and fellowship and encouragement and, and other purposes together. And what we're trying to figure out right now then is how these universal truths about being on mission apply to us locally right here in Hot Springs. Second, when I say these are the quintessential verses, that doesn't mean they contain all or everything we need to know in order to be on mission. I mean, just as we uh, spent a fair amount of time looking at Acts 13 last week, we need other passages to fill in and flesh out the ideas that are giving uh, in these verses for us. Uh, and so that's what we're going to continue to do. So far, we've looked at two major themes, big picture truths that we focused on. Number one came from two weeks ago, and that is the fact that we are all not just a, a, an elite few, not just some specials. We are all sent. Jesus commissioned e e all of us, each and every one of us individually, to be involved in his global, all-encompassing mission. And, and the verse uh, that we focused on uh, for that uh, truth was John 20, 21, that said, so Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I also send you. So we are on mission, and it is a mission of eternal significance. The second big picture uh, truth uh, came from last Sunday with that uh, message entitled, Go Where? If we are told to, uh, if we're sent, and we're told to go therefore, where is it we should be going? And the answer, of course, is, well, anywhere and everywhere, right? But primarily, right where you are. Uh, we're to be going all the time. Now, that may not... Uh, uh, is, is not to say that God may not lead some of you or call some out, as he did uh, with Saul and Barnabas we saw last Sunday, uh, to leave the comfort of your home and your, your hometown and, and to go elsewhere uh, for the sake of his mission. Uh, it may be a short-term trip. It may be something longer. It might even be a permanent relocation. Uh, but all of us, whether we go somewhere else or not, are called to be on mission right now and right here in Hot Springs. We have to have a heart and an attitude of going. And of course, 
that means uh, we, we need to understand what he's called us for. That means we have to have a willingness and a ready heart to obey. To obey God if he should call us somewhere around the world. India, South America, wherever. But also a heart that is ready and willing to go to hot springs. To your neighbors, your coworkers, your schoolmates. Whoever God may put in your path. So in other words, we, we have to see ourselves as going right in the midst of all our normal daily activities. We have to come to understand that mission is not something we do. It's not an event, but it is part of who we are. And so that's what we're looking at. Uh, to be able to have that attitude of going, uh, of being on mission day in and day out, that's going to require three things on our part. First, we have to make sure we know and understand what the mission is that we're called to do. What exactly is it that he's asking of us? Second, we would then have to learn how to think like a missionary. Because that's very different thinking than our average American uh, Christianity type thinking. And then third, we need to know practically, how do we do that? How do we go here in Hot Springs. Now, as, as you might suspect, we're not going to get to all three of those things today, but that tells you where we're heading as we go along. So first and foremost, we need to sh be, make sure we clearly understand the mission. When he says, you're on mission, when he says, I'm sending you, when he says, go therefore to be a part of my mission, we have to make sure we clearly understand that. I mean, Going back to my opening illustration, if I had known the school song, I would have known what to do and I could have experienced the thrill of victory instead of the agony of defeat, right? Well, well God, uh, he wants us to know exactly what he's asking of us. And so he spelled it out clearly for us in his word. Now, that way, we don't have to stand around looking dumb, which I've had experience doing. So um, let's look in, into this and see what we can do. Acts 1.8, the first, uh, the command on what we're supposed to do is given to us right in the middle of the verse. You can see it there. And you shall be my witnesses. Again, last Sunday, we focused on, on the where. Where should this happen? Where should we do this? And that all follows after that particular command. But today, we want to focus on the command itself. And it's, it's really simple, right? Jesus says, you are to be my witnesses. Well, e even though it's simple, for years, I completely misunderstood what that meant. You see, for, for some reason, I always had this picture in my mind that it, 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 when, when it says to be his witness, that means that I had to go up to somebody, uh, usually some uh, complete stranger, corral them, and tell them the entire plan of salvation from start to finish, be ready and able to answer any questions or rebuttals or, or arguments that they might give against Christianity, and after having done all that, then use high-pressure sales techniques to get a decision for Christ. Uh, no wonder I was scared to death of the idea, right? That, that's what I was thinking in my brain it was. But it's really 
far simpler than that. You know, I have never been called to be a witness in a court of law. I don't know if any of you have. I've never been called to do that. But you know what? I have seen episodes of Perry Mason. I have read several John Grisham novels. I watched Legally Blonde. So I know what witnesses are supposed to do, right? Okay, a, a witness is simply someone who sees or experiences something and then tells other people about it. If you're a witness in the court of law, they basically want to know three things. What you saw, what you heard, and in some cases, what you felt, either physically felt or sometimes even emotionally felt. But, but what they're seeking to know are the facts of the situation. You're telling them what you personally experienced. When I was a young kid, there was a pop rock group out there known as the Grand Funk Railroad. And they had a song called Some Kind of Wonderful. And the first verse went like this. It says, I don't need a whole lots of money. I don't need a big, fine car. I got everything that a man could want. I got more than I could ask for. I don't have to run around. I don't have to stay out all night because I got me a sweet, sweet, loving woman, and she knows just how to treat me right. And then the chorus said, well, my baby, she's all right. Well, my baby, she's clean out of sight. Don't you know she's some kind of wonderful? And then the guy has a couple of more verses talking about how great his wife is. I was raised, if you had a sweet woman at home, it's your wife. So that's what I believe, and, and, and we're sticking with that. So he's talking about how uh, great his wife is, and he's got these extra verses, and then he ends by saying, now, is there anybody got a sweet little woman like mine, got to be somebody who's got a sweet little woman like mine, and then he ends the song by asking one final question, which he repeats about seven times over. Anybody know what that question is? Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? What's he asking? You see, he's saying, hey, if you've got a wonderful wife like I do, can you tell me about her just like I got done telling you about my wife? See, a witness is just someone who tells about their own personal experience. And that's exactly what Jesus is asking us to do. Just tell others about what our experience was with him. Did you know that one of the singers of Grand Funk Railroad ended up becoming a Christian during the 1990s? And, and so he redid that song about Jesus. His Savior is some kind of wonderful. And the song ends the exact same way. Can I get a witness? He's asking, is there anybody else out there who has experienced forgiveness of sin? Who has felt God's grace and mercy in their life, who has seen God's work in their life in one way or another. If so, can I get a witness? Are you willing to talk about it? Would you share what God has done for you? That's being a witness. Now, in upcoming weeks, we're going to look at uh, the question of how that uh, would actually work in natural, non-threatening ways in our life right here in Hot Springs? How can we, uh, all, uh, we also want to look at how we can intentionally uh, move towards this idea of being a more consistent witness in our lives? Uh, but for right now, 
I just want to say that the primary key in doing all of this and being a, an effective witness is, is to simply let it happen naturally. The idea of walking up to a complete stranger on the street and saying, oh, by the way, did you know that God was really there for me and my wife when our child was going through and you fill in the blank or whatever your situation was that God helped you with? Wouldn't that be like way, way awkward? And most likely the person you approach would want to get away from you as fast as possible. (laughs) But, you know, if you're sitting around with your friends, some non-Christian friends that you sit around with all the time because they know you. And during the course of the conversation, somebody turns to you and asks, hey, how's things going with your kid? Because your friends, they know you've been having a tough time with what's going on. And at that point, it would be very natural as you're giving the details of what's going on with your child to include how God has encouraged and strengthened you, what you've seen God doing in your life through this. That's being a witness. You're talking about your own experience with God. Now, did you lay out the plan of salvation? No. Did you press for a conversion? No. You're simply talking about what he's done your experience with him. And it was only one specific experience, I mean, related to whatever event they were talking about, right? It's not your, the sum, complete total of all your experience with God. It, it's just that one thing. But because you are willing to bring God into the conversation in a natural, non-threatening way, you have a chance to plant a seed. That's being a witness. But now we need to move back to our our verse in Matthew 28 because it adds something a little bit more. Matthew 28, verse 19 says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So this is taking it a step further than simply being a witness because the, the truth is, the reality is, sometimes in this world, when you are a consistent, intentional witness, both with your life and behavior and with your words, there may be a person who wants more information. They may want to know how they can have a relationship with God. They have seen the reality in your life, and now they are curious. They're interested in what that might mean for themselves. So to make disciples means being able to guide them through that step of salvation, of coming to Christ. Now, before we we look at that, I, I want to make sure we don't misunderstand this word disciple. Because when, when he says, go make disciples, because somehow in modern Christianity, especially here in America, we, we seem to have made some type of artificial distinction between being a Christian and being a disciple. It's as if a person can, can be a Christian, but they have to go to some higher plane or deeper level or however you want to explain it in order to be a disciple. Oh, to be a Christian, you have to do this. But to be a disciple, you have to do this and this and that. And then you're a disciple. Well, you don't, you don't find that distinction anywhere in the Bible. There are are not two separate entities. 
the term disciple simply meant a person who had committed their life to Christ. They're following him. You see, in the Bible, the, the term uh, follower, believer, disciple, Christian, I mean, they were all synonymous. Do you remember last Sunday we talked about the church in Antioch? Uh, the church started in Jerusalem, but there was severe persecution, and that forced uh, many believers to flee, and they went out preaching, but they were only preaching to other Jews, just people like themselves. But then the, as the persecution continued, they spread out farther, and some of the believers went to a town called Antioch. And in Antioch, that's the first place where they said, hey, this is good news for everybody, not just Jews. And they started preaching to Greeks as well. And lots and lots of people were saved. And that uh, church and, uh, began to grow like crazy there. It was a huge church. And at the end of that story, uh, we looked at that real quickly last week in Acts chapter 11. At the end of that story, in verse 26, we read, And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Uh, but do you see how the terms are synonymous? So the command to make disciples in Matthew 28 is simply a command to share with people how they too can have their sins forgiven, to, to be saved, to gain eternal life, and to have a right relationship with God. Now, you should know how to do that because you've already done it, right? I mean, if you're saved, if, if you're a believer, you've done it. So it should be fairly simple to, to explain that to somebody else, but un, uh, for some reason, that seems to be something that scares a lot of people uh, because they are unsure how to go about it. And, and one of the reasons I, I, I think that's true is because of how complicated we've made things here in America. If you took a poll to find out why people are hesitant or why they're fearful about, you know, sharing Christ with someone or trying to lead somebody to faith in Jesus Christ, I would guess that one of the main answers you would get from people is, I'm scared. I, I don't know how to lead somebody to Christ. I don't know what to say. You don't have to raise your hand, but you ever felt that way? I don't know what to say. I don't know what to tell them. Well, if you feel like that or you've ever felt like that, let me simplify things. Again, we made it complicated here in the United States. I, I don't know why we try to tend to complicate things. Let me simplify it for you based on what the Bible says rather than on some man-made plan. And by the way, I'm not against man-made plans. They can be helpful tools and this kind of stuff. But I just want to simplify it for you, okay? Uh, in Acts chapter 16, a non-Christian asked a very direct question. He said, what must I do to be saved? Now, if anyone, if anyone in the entire world would know how to answer that question properly, fully, and completely, it would be the Apostle Paul, right? And you can safely follow his lead whenever you might find yourself in a position of having to answer somebody's inquiry about becoming a Christian or salvation. Paul answered the man's question. And in answering the question, he gave us all the information we need to know in order to share Jesus Christ with somebody and have them come to Christ. It's in the very next verse there in Acts chapter 16. So if you're afraid, you don't know what to say, here's your clue. Follow along with here. It says, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. 
That's it. Oh, yeah, but wait, don't, don't, I, don't they have to, what, aren't they supposed to do something, and then don't we have to say a prayer, and what if I don't get the right word? Hey, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. It is not a prayer that saves somebody. Belief is something that takes place in the heart. A prayer might confirm that. It might help them to think through that. But let's not complicate things. That's all they have to know to be saved. That's all you have to know to lead them to salvation. Now, obviously, uh, they're going to need to learn more about Jesus, who he is and what he did on their behalf and what it means to have a right relationship with God and all that kind of stuff in order to grow in their faith and understanding. But the bottom line in terms of becoming a disciple, a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, is that it's all about faith, faith in the person of Jesus Christ. So, if we're determined to go, therefore, to hot springs, if we understand that we are sent right here in our own community, this, then, is what we're called to do. Let's make sure we understand it and know it fully, completely, and clearly. We're called to tell people what Jesus has done is doing in our life. That's being a witness. And then, as natural opportunities arise, share with them that Jesus can do the same thing for them as well. All it takes is simple faith. Faith like a child, the Bible says. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't need to make it harder or more complicated than that. So next week, we'll start looking at what that might look like. How does that practically work out in our lives? How can we do those things naturally and comfortably? But for today... I want to make sure that you have it clearly in your mind what the mission is. Can you be his witness? Well, the answer is yes, because he said, when I give you the Holy Spirit, I'm going to empower you to do this. So it's a matter of learning to intentionally bring God into the conversation in natural ways. Beyond that, as people would open up to you and talk to you, you can easily share with them. Here's what made the difference in my life. I believe in the Lord Jesus. We don't have to make it any more complicated than that. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you're a God of simplicity. Oh, you're so complex, we'll never be able to understand you fully. But that's because you're God. But in the mission that you have given us, you have made it simple. And you have given us the empowerment to do it. So God, 
all we really need is the plan and the courage. And I pray that you would help us to develop that as we continue this study. God, be free to work in our hearts and minds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have one.